seminary students and armchair theologians may debate about whether Christians can be demon-possessed. But God's Word leaves no room for debate. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the Bible's clear teaching on the matter, along with other insights into how believers should respond to demonic activity. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Hell's Angels, here's David. I am so glad you joined us today. We are studying a very interesting subject. Um, This is a water cooler discussion. I know you know that. People talk about this in the off moments when uh, they have a moment. Hey, what do you think about this? Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, we're going to answer that question today, I hope, from good, solid truth from the Scripture. But the key to understand about angels is God gives them to us for our support We never worship angels. We never pray to angels. Angels are created by God. They are not the opposite of God. They have no power in any way, clearly, that's uh, comparable to the power of God. It is true that he who is in us is greater than he who is outside of us. So we'll get to that discussion in just a moment. But first, I want to keep reminding you that we have some incredible opportunities for you during this month. How would you like to have a copy of the movie, Why the Nativity, absolutely sent to you on a DVD so you will have it for the Christmas season? We'd love to make it available to you for a gift of any size during the month of November. If you make your gift today, it will surely be there in time for the Christmas season, and we would love to have that opportunity. You can also ask, if you don't need the movie or have it already, you can ask for the book on angels, which is a 240-page softcover book that uh, captures the entire series we're teaching, or you can ask for the book, Why the Nativity, which is a 25-chapter book on the source of Christmas information. So one of three, the book on angels, Why the Nativity book, or Why the Nativity DVD. When you send your gift, ask for one of these resources. Let's get started with today's lesson. In the Bible, again, we have many instances of people being demon-possessed. What a demon-possessed person is like is they are totally unlike themselves. A demon, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit inhabits that person and takes control of that body from the inside out so that they begin to do all manner of things which are not characteristic of them. In the Bible, we are told that some of them had convulsions. Mark 1.26 says, when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, Some of them were filled with fierceness. Matthew 8, 28, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. Some of them were falling into fire and water, according to Matthew 17, 15. Luke 9, 39 tells us that some demon-possessed people foamed at the mouth and behold, a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, says the Bible. We are told in Mark chapter 9 and verse 18 that sometimes when a person was demon-possessed, they expressed gnashing of the teeth. And in Mark chapter 5 and verse 4, we are told that some demon-possessed people became incredibly strong. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. All of the films that have been made that have come out of The Exorcist and all of the other things, they may have carried it to the extreme and sensational, but they probably haven't painted the picture too sensational for what it's really like 
when a person is controlled by one of Satan's emissaries. But I have good news for you. You say, well, Pastor, in this message, it's about time for some. And I believe that. The question is often asked, can a Christian be demon-possessed? I don't know if you know this, but all over the country in theological seminaries and in think tanks and all, this is one of the hot issues. Can a demon possess a Christian? Do you know, a lot of thinking has changed on that issue in the last years among evangelicals. When I was growing up in the church and going to seminary and studying the Bible in a formal way, no real strong, solid evangelical would ever give reason to believe that a Christian could be possessed of a demon. But in recent years, because of the addition of psychology into the mix and because of the strong input of experience as opposed to the standard of the Word of God, there are many very highly thought of evangelical teachers who are now saying that Christians can be possessed of a demon. Well, I want you to know I haven't changed my mind because I don't think the Bible has changed its mind. And I want to give you three reasons why I don't think you as a Christian can ever be possessed of a demon. First of all, the Spirit of God permanently indwells every believer. 1 Corinthians six nineteen says it this way, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Now watch this. The Holy Spirit lives inside everyone who knows Christ. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, the moment you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence within you. You are permanently indwelt by the Spirit of God. And the word does not say that he came to live in your soul or he came to live in your spirit. He came to live in your body, which is the house, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, John helps us to understand why demon possession is a very difficult thing to make work scripturally for a Christian. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, watch this. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Literally, the text says, he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He who is in us is the Holy Spirit, children. And he who is in the world is Satan and his demons. And the conclusion ought to be quite clear. A demon is not able to enter and take control of a believer because the Holy Spirit already lives there. And Walter Martin said it wonderfully well. He said, when the devil knocks on the door of a Christian's heart, the Holy Spirit opens it and says, get lost. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Since God, the Holy Spirit is stronger than any demonic being, including Satan himself, then no demon or evil spirit can enter. It's just that simple. And this is certainly at the heart of what Jesus was teaching in one of his parables when he told the story In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 29, the gist of the story is in this one verse. He says, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And what Jesus was saying is, if you're going to go in and rob somebody's house and there's a strong man in the house, you can't do that unless you dispose of the strong man. And the implication is, if the Holy Spirit is the strong man living within the house of the believer, there isn't any demon on the face of God's earth who has the strength to bind that strong man so he will never be able to possess the life of a believer. And then added to that, reason number two is the silence in the New Testament regarding any believer being demon-possessed. 
Did you know, and I believe I'm correct when I say this, that there is not one single instance of a Christian being said to be demon-possessed in the New Testament. Christians are troubled by the devil. They are tempted by the devil, but they are never possessed by him. Or as some have taught, a Christian can be obsessed and oppressed, but not possessed. In other words, Satan bothers us. Can I get a witness? He bothers us. But he doesn't possess me. He doesn't control me. And interestingly enough, when the New Testament speaks to believers about dealing with Satan and with the devil, how does it speak to the believer? Does it say to the believer, cast Satan out? No. It says, resist him and what? He will flee from you. It says, stand firm in the armor of the believer and be strong in the Lord. Never in the word of God are we ever instructed to deal with Satan as if he were an inward passenger. We're always to resist him and he will flee from us. Isn't it amazing to think that God would allow possessed Christians to walk through this world without giving them one word of instruction as to how to deal personally with that problem if it truly did exist and it does not. In fact, in the Bible, there are so many encouraging words about what God has done with regard to Satan. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. In John 16.11, speaking of what Christ did at the cross, it says, Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And Hebrews 2.14 is my favorite. It says, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. I want to tell you, friends, he's on a long leash, but he is doomed. He may have a little power in this day which has been granted to him under the sovereignty of God, but he is doomed and judged and dead in the grass. And one of these days he will be confined forever in the lake of fire with his angels. Jesus Christ has won the victory over Satan, and he need not cause us to be terrorized as the children of God. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. It is important to understand, however, that while demons cannot possess us, they can sure give us fits, and they are actively involved in the world today, far beyond what probably any of us here would ever know in the unseen world. It is wrong to credit the demons, as Flip Wilson used to do, by saying the devil made me do it. With every problem in your life, sometimes it's our flesh, sometimes it's just our weakness, but it is also true that there is demonic activity and it touches every one of us whether we know it or not. So what happens to demons? I love this part of the story. Let me tell you something. The demons can't ever change. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? There is no hope for a demon. There is no hope for Satan. There is no hope for a fallen angel. Jesus Christ did not shed his blood on Calvary to redeem the fallen angels. 
they fell from the level of perfection, living in the presence of God Almighty as his chosen cherubs of worship. And of their own volition, out of their own desire, they rebelled against God and there is no hope for them. They are forever doomed to everlasting punishment. That's why when we read in the Bible that the God-man came to resolve the problem for lost mankind, it wasn't the God-angel, it was the God-man. God in Christ reconciled those of us who are humans so that even though we are rebels and we have rebelled, God has made a plan for us that we might be saved. But there is no hope for the demons and the devil. In fact, Matthew 25, 41 says it this way. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They are doomed. Their judgment is sure. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, with all this stuff floating around us today, and you can't watch television for one week without seeing it. You can't read the newspapers or the magazines. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? I want to just give you some final instruction. If you didn't write anything else down, just write these thoughts down and meditate on them. Because this is kind of the end of this little mini-series within the series, and I'm so glad, and I know you are too. We won't talk about this next time. But here's some instruction. Number one, remember who Satan is. Just remember who he is. So what I want you to know is this. While he is a formidable foe, he is no match for God. He's not even in the same league. He doesn't belong in the same league with God. He is someone whose power we should acknowledge, but whose person we should never fear. Secondly, refuse to give him an advantage. How do you do that? Well, the Bible tells you how you give Satan an advantage. You know how you give him an advantage? You give him an advantage through ignorance. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 2.1, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. And the reason why so many Christian people fall into the trap of demonic and satanic trafficking is because nobody ever stands up and tells them about who he is. Nobody ever stands up and says, this is what the Bible says about demons. This is what the Bible says about Satan. We're not going to dwell on it, but here's the truth of the word of God. We don't allow ourselves to be ignorant of it. We need to understand his schemes and his wiles. He is a manipulator par excellence. Three, reject the current trend to be preoccupied with Satan and his demons. Reject that trend. Someone has estimated that 80% of research specialists who study diseases eventually take on the symptoms of those diseases, which says the power of preoccupation is a powerful thing. And there are some people today who that's all they deal with. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in a counter cult ministry where all you do is study this stuff over and over again. When I was writing the book, The Invasion of Other Gods, I was so glad when that research was done and I could leave that whole realm behind. And I feel the same way about this. I'm not going to be preoccupied with it. You see, there's the two dangers. They're the extremes that we fall to. Either over here on this one side to say, I don't want to know anything about it. I'm not going to study it. I'm not going to learn about it. And then Satan takes advantage through our ignorance or to get over here on the other side and say, boy, this is, I just need to know all there is. And we read all the magazines and all the, you know, neither one of those is the right thing. You don't need to know every word about demons. You just need to know the word about demons. That's it. And you will be protected. Number four, straight from the scripture. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. 
That's what the Bible says in James 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Resist him. Don't give in to his every attempt to tempt you. And then I want to add number five. Run from every connection with the occult. Here's where a lot of people are getting sucked in today, even among God's people. Demons, you see, are strongly associated with idolatry and immorality. Every place you see them in the Bible, it seems like right in the context are those two sins. And you know what's interesting about those two sins? Idolatry and immorality are the only two sins in the New Testament about which we are told to flee. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee youthful lusts. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14 says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If demons are associated with immorality and idolatry and we're told to flee those two things, the best thing I can tell you is you flee every concept that is connected with the occult. And I've had so many people come and tell me about having grown up in a home where their parents played around with Ouija boards all the time. And this guy is being tormented now by dreams that are just terrorizing him. The first question I asked him was, have you had any background in the occult? And he began to tell me this story. Listen, my friends, seances and Ouija boards and Dungeons and Dragons and music that has occultic lyrics and astrology and psychics, just to name a few, are outside the boundaries of that which a true Christian who wants to walk with God and live for God and be free from demonic involvement, he will avoid that stuff like the plague, whether it's in a movie, in a book, on television, or whatever. Stay away from it. Avoid all appearances of evil. You say, well, pastor, you just can't live in this world. If you don't, you'd be surprised what you can do when you set your mind to it. You don't have to do that. And you're really not walking in very safe territory if you do. Number six, renew your mind daily for your mind is Satan's target. I've never been more convinced of anything than I am of this. In 2 Corinthians 11.3, it says, I am afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve... By his craftiness, your minds should be led astray. Paul said that to the Corinthians. And then in Ephesians 6, 11, he writes to the Ephesians, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word craftiness in 2 Corinthians and the word wiles in Ephesians are two different words in the Greek language which speak about Satan's ability to manipulate the mind by getting into your mind and playing, literally playing mind games with you. Anybody know anything about that? How he plays mind games with you? And then I went through the scripture and I was overwhelmed at all of the instruction we have been given in the epistles concerning our minds. We are told to love the Lord our God with all of our mind in the gospels. We are told in Romans to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We are told in 2 Corinthians to bring every thought into captivity. We are told in Philippians to think on these things, whatsoever things are pure, etc., etc. And 1 Peter 1.13 says, gird up the loins of your mind. Listen, my friends, if you fill your mind with the word of God and with godly things, if you listen to good godly music that has lyrics that are uplifting and encouraging, if you have godly conversations, if you read godly periodicals, if you fill your mind with good things, you will not be obsessed with bad things. You know, a lot of people I know who are so worried about the occult and satanic things, they say, well, I'm just going to try not to think about it. 
And the more they try, the more they think about it. You need to have a renewing of the mind. I had an experience like that when I was finishing up with my treatment at the Scripps Clinic. They decided they wanted to do a process called phoresis, where they take your blood out of you. And they put it back in, but they take it out. And what they did was they put a needle in this arm, and they hooked a hose up to it, and they put a needle in this arm and hooked a hose up to it. And I laid in bed for four hours, and they pumped all the blood out of my system through this hose right here into a machine. And while it was in the machine, the machine harvested off the stem cells in your blood. And then it came back out and came back in your blood. It was all taken through the machine and purified and put back in my body. And they save those up in case you ever get sick again. They've got that in a refrigerator someplace. All I got to do is call up and say, get my blood, I'm coming. And there it is, I'm all ready, see. Here's the process. You renew your blood. It's the same process that happens when you go through dialysis. And what the Bible is teaching is this. If you want to keep Satan and his demons out of your life, then fill your life with renewed thinking. Constantly be programming your mind and your spirit with godly things. And don't open yourselves up to the things that can corrupt you. You say, well, you can't do that completely. That's true. But you know what? Let's all admit it. We can do it a lot better than we've been doing it. We can determine by the grace of God to rework our diet mentally so that the godly things that are available to us are going to form the major portion of what we think about and what we meditate on. Renew your mind. And then, last but not least, revisit your commitment to spiritual warfare. Friends, there's no way we're going to get from here to there without walking through the war zone. And stuff's flying everywhere, isn't it? There's landmines everywhere you turn, missiles going overhead. You can't be a Christian today and say, well, I'm going to be a pacifist. You can't be a Christian pacifist in the world in which we live. Maybe in some distant world in the past, but not in this world. We are in a war. And the enemy has declared our territory. And the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We have got to make sure we understand that we're ready for the war. The Bible tells us that this war is going to escalate as we draw closer to the coming of Christ. Did you know that? What does the Bible say? Look at 1 Timothy 4.1. Look at what it says. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. As we get closer to the end time, that's what we should expect. And 2 Timothy 3.13 adds the same thought that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now let me just finish by saying... The demons are active because they know their time is short and they know their destiny is certain and they just have a little time and as the time for Christ's coming draws near, they will escalate their activity because they know they only have a short time. And that's why we are to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to stand against the devil and having done all to stand. The good news, my friends, is this. We already have won the war. We've already won the war. You know why? We've got the greatest captain in all the universe who has gone before us and settled the issue once and for all on the cross. Now let's live like victors. Let's don't walk around in terror acting like we're afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We just need to be courageous warriors of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has promised that we are more than conquerors through him. Stand in victory, friends. That's what God has called us to do. Don't be foolish and 
mock Satan. Don't do what I've heard some preachers do. Stand up and act like they're uh, Superman and they're challenging Satan. You don't want to mess with Satan. Stay away from him. Withstand him, the Bible says. And then live in the victory of Jesus Christ. That's the message from today's lesson. Now, tomorrow we're going to talk about something I discovered maybe for the first time in its all reality in a funeral I conducted several years ago when I read the scripture about what angels do when Christians die. What angels do when Christians die. Tomorrow and Monday here on Turning Point. We still have a lesson on the angel of the Lord, and then it'll be time for Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being a part of this great uh, Bible teaching family. Make sure you get a copy of the book on angels when you send your gift this month. Ask for it when you do that. We'll see you tomorrow. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God using this ministry in your life? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen on our Turning Point Plus streaming service for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, on Turning Point. Angels are a fascinating topic, and yet with all the theories concerning them, how can we know what's fact and what's fiction? In his book called Angels, Dr. David Jeremiah uses scripture to help readers of all ages understand the truth about these agents of heaven. You'll receive angels with our thanks for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for a donation of $70 or more, we'll send you the Angels set, which includes a book, study guide, and CD album. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. I've heard it said that the best way for a child to get a puppy is to beg the parents for a baby brother or sister. They'll settle for a puppy every time. Well, we hear a lot about settling these days. We're told that you can't always get what you want out of life, and so sometimes you have to settle. 
I'm all for being realistic and aiming for achievable goals, but I'm not in favor of giving up on one's God-given dreams. Jesus said that he came so we might have life and have it to the full. That doesn't sound like settling to me. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's best on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.